Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit fightradio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Okay, good day, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guests are Naomi W. Scale and Marilyn J. Jordan, and they are the co-authors of the memoir, or memoirs, um, From Pain to Love, Our Journey Outside the Rainbow. The transparency of this awe-inspiring memoir will take you on the kaleidoscope of emotion. It'll make you cry, laugh, sob, and celebrate, all at the same time. Intrigued is the state you will find yourself in as you journey with two black Southern girls who were both born in the 1960s, lived lives filled with confusion, laughter, chaos, and love. It is of one girl's love for her mother and how it was strongly exhibited in the care she provided during her mother's illness. She not only shares how she persevered beyond childhood trauma, poverty, and insecurities, but also the unfolding of a love story through many personal obstacles and society's demonization. In the spectrum of the other girl, she lives a secret life conflicted with holding on to her faith and the guise of who she was expected to be. Then, in the 1980s, they tried to live a normal life in the eyes of society while surviving lies, hidden struggles, and battling sexual identity. Both determined to build the, lo- the life they wanted on their terms while living outside the rainbow. And love one. So for more information, you can visit their website, which is Naomi W. Scales and, which is A-N-D, MarilynJJordan.com. So with that, I'd like to welcome Naomi and Marilyn to the show. Good day. Hi, Robert. How you doing? This is Naomi. And this is Marilyn. Good morning yeah. to all. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Good. Well, yeah, you know, it'll probably take me about maybe five minutes at most to be able to distinguish the voice with that. With that so. So I want to first start with, um, as I kind of uh, mentioned in the introduction, that this is really um, a dual memoir, you know, in the sense that um, you you have Naomi and you have Marilyn, and then you, of course, have the combined. But um, can you tell me about, you know, how this came about, how the book came about and why you wanted to do the two together? Well, uh, Robert, the book started originally uh, 18 years ago. This is Naomi. Uh started 18 years ago. I started to, um, uh, I guess you could say, journal my mother's um, descent into early dementia. And I started just trying to keep track of her activities. And then I wanted to write a book about my upbringing uh, with my family. Um, but then as I got into the book, I realized that by the time I was 21 years old, the rest of my life had been spent with Marilyn. And so and that kind of, when I put it to an editor and said, hey, can you take a look at this? 
and they read it, and they said, hey, you know you have half of the story is about your life with Marilyn. Why don't you guys think about doing a, a dual memoir so that it could get capture the whole effect of what you're trying to say because there is really a story about two people here, actually three people. Yeah. I You know, I, I love you know, the, the fact that you both came from – different um, background, you know, in a similar setting, you know, and, and you each had struggles that are very common struggles, um, you know, for especially for, for black women in the South. So um, now the subtitle of your book is called Our Journey Outside the Rainbow. So can you, maybe Marilyn, can you tell me why it is that uh, you chose that title, that subtitle? Well, the title is appropriate because we were lesbians, we were a couple, we were in love, and we also were a complete family unit. But the journey we were taking was outside of the rainbow because we were not living out loud, if you will. We were living in mm -hmm. secret. As those that are familiar with the LGBT community, the rainbow is symbolic for that um, those type of relationships. And so we were outside the rainbow. And the beginning of the title, From Pain to Love, it all ties in with living outside of the rainbow because it was very painful to live in secret and pretend to be what society considered normal. And um, those are how those two titles kind of merged together to make the memoir uh, come to life. Yeah, yeah. And it's right now, I mean, there are many you know, in the LGBT community who are outside the rainbow who do live, you know, that, that secret and, and are confronting many of the uh, challenges that, that you both had, and which is why I think it's wonderful that you combine them because you really cover a wide spectrum of, of challenges. Um, now, Naomi, um, in the book, you know, you, you basically you survive trauma, childhood trauma, uh, and poverty and insecurities. Now, in the book, you – you know, go into detail about you know the the about the trauma. Um, so, can you tell us um, about? Uh, I think it's admirable when people put it out there because I mean this is like the um, this is like completely vulnerable, you know, in a way that this is this is it. Um, but it takes courage. So, can you tell me why you went into that detail in the book? Well, um, it, like you said, it took courage because if you, when you read the book, you realize that I didn't really share a lot of the trauma with people in my inner circle until I was older, until I was an adult. So I decided to go into details about it because um, just in general circles and conversations, I've know, I have had other ladies say to me that they have had similar experiences within their family. And it's something that really is not discussed or talked about. It's uh, it's kind of one of those things that, you know, if something like that happens, you just kind of move on and go on and, and you really don't address it. So I went into details because I wanted to also share that those things happened to me, uh, but I was able to still, even though it was a struggle throughout my life, I was still able to persevere, grow into a full, mature adult, adult and then finally be able to, a rec uh, come to a reckoning with those things that happened to me and become a, a total being through therapy, through love, through all of that. But it's something that 
it's, it's one of those things where trauma does exist, and it's not always, it's, it's sometimes it's, we can assume it's a certain kind of trauma. Some people can look at a person and never know they went through any kind of trauma because of the way they lived their life. And that's basically how I was, that's how I was surviving. But inside, it was, it was real, it was still ripping me apart. So writing it down on paper and expressing it allowed me to move to another phase in my life of, of a total acceptance of who I was and who I am. And because those things happened to me, they were not my fault. Um, and I didn't carry that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, I think one of the um, benefits of, of putting it out there are for other women who are in experiencing the same kind of, of trauma right now um, to realize, you know, first of all, you know, put it, putting it, that trauma into perspective and that it, you know, the it is not your fault, <laughs> you know, it, and then also the fact that you can move from there to having a loving relationship as an adult, you know. So, I mean, it's, you know, those, when you're going through the trauma, sometimes I think it's hard to even realize that there might be a possibility of a loving relationship. Yes, exactly. You're absolutely right. Uh, you don't, you kind of, you don't, you, some people, you kind of condition yourself to certain, accepting certain things that maybe that's the way they are, maybe that's the way they should be. But once you uh, confront those those things that happen to you, whatever trauma, whether it's physical, sexual, whatever trauma you may have experienced as a child, it was not not your fault, but at the adult, at the hands of adults, you realize, when, especially when someone comes into your life, that that is something that you can work through. You can recover from that. You can be whole, and you don't have to carry that around um, by yourself. And um, because. You have found someone that loves you, care for you, and you can share those things with, with them, and y'all can work and grow through those things together. Yeah, exactly. Now, um, Marilyn, uh, you led a secret life that conflicted with your desire to hold on to your faith. So can you tell us a little bit about your um, I guess journey and, and, and about that particular conflict? Yes, with um, as it relates to my faith, which I still have, and I don't allow man to denounce that or um, tell me that that's something I don't deserve or that I cannot have. Growing up, I was in church, and I want to say 24/7, even though that's a little exaggeration. It's almost not. <laughs> and uh, a lot. Very active. Very active. My parents were very active in church, and I was involved in all the church-like organizations, and I enjoyed it. And um, I was, I was adamant about not allowing that to be stripped from me as I became an adult and started living my life the way I wanted to. I decided that with my girls, we kept them involved in church. Uh, as an adult, I was involved in church. They were involved in church. And as we grew and became wiser as it relates to faith, we all started to learn that we are all children of a higher being. And where we are with that in our relationship and with our faith has nothing to do with us living and being in a same-sex relationship. And with that said, most of my life was a secret because the faith that I was taught 
the upbringing that was instilled in me led me to believe I was not allowed to love Naomi. That was not acceptable in the faith that I was taught. So as I said before, as I became wiser and I learned more, uh, I realized that that was not true. So that's kind of how that played a role in, in um, me questioning uh, my my relationship to where I thought it was not okay and that the higher being that I um, revered would not be okay with where I was in my relationship and, 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 and the family unit that I had. And so um, that, that was part of the struggle. And coming out and living out loud and sharing where we are in our family unit, our relationship, our children – has been has has really increased the strength in my faith. Um, so it's kind of like a catch twenty two on how it all played out. But um, that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, you know um, that the that struggle, you know, of someone, you know, who is faithful, you know, with you know dogma with with, with teachings that are. Um, not loving teachings, you know, is, um, I think is a common struggle, you know, for, for people. And, you know, the idea, like you said, we are all children of a creator. You know, we are all, you know, living examples of, of the diversity, you know, of creation. So, um, you know, it's, and, you know, I like the, the fact that you, you know, held on to your faith and have been able to um, reconcile, I guess, in a way, you know, the, the keep having faith and also having that loving same-sex uh, relationship. Now, when it comes to, um, you know, others that are, are around you, do, do you have a uh, – kind of a, a faithful group, you know, of, of whom you, uh, you know, are, are friends with. I mean, you know, in other words, I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say is, is there a way um, to you expand your uh, your knowledge, your wisdom as to how things, you know, how you, how you see things now? Do you ever um, encounter those who are of your former belief system. Yes, yes, and 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 with that, they are uh, very receptive. Um, There's okay. always going to be one or two. Um, in particular, in my family, there is an individual that is um, very active in the traditional church, if you will, <laughs> setting, and she has been vocal on sharing how my – she identifies it as a lifestyle. I don't like to use that word. I try to be careful not to use it. She um, is adamant about the lifestyle is not accepting of God and so on and so forth, and she shares scriptures that in her mind supports that. And I respect it, and I tell her, I love you, and we move on. I, 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 I had to grow to that. It took me a while to be able to have an exchange with her without getting upset and uh, not speaking with her and going on and on. But as I, like I said, as I've grown and become wiser, um, she's really the only individual. And the other groups 
of people that I had relationships with prior to coming out. I still have the very same relationship with them. We still speak of God and faith and how to be grateful and kind, and I am involved in a church. I have a very good relationship with my pastor and his wife. We talk weekly, um, and before COVID, um, I was attending in person. Now I attend uh, live online, and um, I give to the church faithfully. So that was a relationship I had before coming out. They are aware of the book. We've talked about the book. We've talked about um, my relationship, and um, they know the girls. They, You know, the girls have grown up in their church, and so – it really hasn't changed. You just have that one. Now, Naomi, um, faith-related type relationship that you had prior to, I don't know if you have something you want to share or did it affect yours in any way? Well, I think when you talk about uh, faith-related uh, relationships, uh, we were both, like, born in the South. We both went to church constantly. I would come back to Arkansas uh, from my after, after spending the fall in Chicago, we would always return to Arkansas for the summer to spend with my grandmother and my aunts and my uncles, and that's that's the time that we would actually go to church a lot. I never really went to church a lot when we were in Chicago with my mom, but going when we came home, church was, you know, that was it. And I was always afraid of of church because I had I had all these feelings going on inside of me, and I kept hearing things that people would say and yell out that you're going to go to hell, so I was always afraid of church, that the actual organization, but I also believed that I was a chosen person, too. I, I felt that I was special because I had been made like this, but I couldn't tell anybody that because I couldn't you find the words to say those things because people would just constantly holler out scriptures and this and this, what about this, what about this scripture, and I just didn't have the knowledge to argue with that, so my... My faith was sort of kind of like just in just sitting back in the a dormant state. I just I just never tried to say anything about it because I didn't feel like I was educated enough or, or uh, had enough teachings to be able to uh, have an argument or a disagreement with someone when it comes to my faith and my sexuality. Yeah, yeah. I had that to kind of smile when you were talking about being afraid of church. Um, my partner, who's uh, clairvoyant and gay, was raised in a Southern Baptist, you know, and he said that whenever whenever he was forced to go to church, he wasn't sure who scared who more, you know, whether it was uh, the priest or they were afraid of him. So, but, yeah. but uh, you know, it's, you know, it's, um, to me, it says something that um, church, the idea of a church or a religion, can create fear and anxiety. You know, to me, that just seems so counter God in a way. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, and and, and that's something that I think as a society and uh, as a community. When I say community, I mean uh, the African American community. That we're we're kind of re, we're kind of coming around, revolving in that situation, and sort of kind of coming more acceptance of that. Listening to and realizing that we are a device, a diverse community. We're not all the same, and if we're going to be acceptance want other people to accept us or who we are, we have to learn to accept all of our people. And so we're starting to see that more in our community when it comes to church and faith-based communities, that it's starting to be a little more acceptance and, and, and a little more 
of actually diving into the words and the teachings and not scaring our children and our, yeah. and our, and our um, yeah, because that we lose so many of them when we do that. And, um, and the church has always been a place where we, we're supposed to go to. It's like supposed to be a hospital. We're supposed to go there when you're sick, when you're hurt. When you're not feeling well, you go to get what you need from the church. But if we're scaring part of our community and making them feel ostracized, we're losing them. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, I want to you know, kind of, now that we've talked to, you know, individually about your stories, um, I want to start with that one summer day, <laughs> and, you know, at uh, age 13, and I like the, Naomi, I like the way that uh, you described seeing Maryland. So would you mind sharing with the listeners about that, that one summer day? Well, you know, like I say, growing up in Arkansas, it's a small community, very small town. I had heard about her. I'd heard her name, and I knew her family was a prominent in the community, and she just lived a few blocks down from my grandmother's house. But I had never really physically seen her. I just had always heard about her. She had this beautiful black hair. She had this beautiful uh, caramel skin. And when I first saw her, I was like, I was just taken aback because I was like, man, it's something weird going on here because she's real pretty. And she's not just, like, pretty like pretty like I've seen my friends, my girlfriends be pretty. She's pretty in another kind of way. And so I was just, just taken aback by her. And then she was so, even at 13, she was so calm and so collective that I just felt like that it was something special about her. I, I, you know, sometimes I get a little corny with it. It seemed like when I saw her, it seemed like I saw a little angel just throwing over her head. So that's how I felt. I had this feeling in my stomach. I was like, oh, my God, what's going on here? But I thought she was the most beautiful thing in the world. And, um, yeah, and I just didn't understand what was happening. And it didn't go away. It didn't go away because I, I you know, we didn't spend a lot of time growing up from 13 to 20 when I saw her again, when we went to college, that feeling came back again. There it was. She was that same girl, but she had matured, and she was, you know, just even more beautiful. And I just realized that um, I like her. <laughs> there you go. And, and she, Naomi, she's just as beautiful today, right? Oh, <laughs> she was God. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. <laughs> <laughs> Here. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Marilyn, why don't you tell us, tell us, you know, the, the, the from your perspective, those meetings. Tell us, tell us, you know, how how you um, reacted or what were your feelings were. Well, back during the age of thirteen, of course, I, I had a boyfriend, and um, I still felt butterflies when I was around uh, Naomi, and we, the family name is Wilma, so sometimes I may get a little confused and say Wilma, but I'm talking about the same person. Uh, I would get butterflies when I was around her, and um, I didn't know why, because I never had experienced or knew anything about same-sex relationships. I just didn't think there was anything that existed. So at the beginning and early on, I thought, this is somebody I'm very fond of, because she was and is always so smart and so funny, so witty, and I just enjoyed being in her presence as a friend. And then as we became older in our college years, I saw her as someone that was extremely strong 
And I don't just mean physical. Physically, yes. Emotionally and mentally, she was just strong. It was like when I saw her and was around her, I always felt like it was a person that nothing could break her. She was very persistent. I mean, she had all these traits that I wanted to pull from. I enjoyed being around her and just uh, taking in her, her vibe, you know. And I didn't, and I guess I was identifying all of that as that because I did not want to acknowledge that I was in love with her because I felt like that would, first of all, in my mind it was wrong. Second of all, it would mess up what we had, the friendship. So I was trying hard to ignore the other feelings um, that were there. But as we became older and it was no denying it and her being who she was, she wasn't going to go anywhere. And that made me feel good knowing that no matter what happened in our relationship, whether I continued to not acknowledge us as a, a unit, she still was not going to go anywhere. She still was going to be my best friend. So that was comforting. But what was confusing and conflicting for me is that that's not what I wanted. And I just didn't want to lose her as a friend if the relationship was not to be. And so it was all that conflict. But those were always my thoughts, you know, as we went through those various phases of our friendship. And I think that's what is such um, a strong element of our relationship. We were best friends at first. I mean, I'm talking about you say Marilyn, you say Wilma, you say Wilma, you say Marilyn. And um, that that carried us through to where we were able to go to the next level of our relationship and it still be strong. You know, that was the foundation that we were able to build on. Yeah, that, that's an important base, you know, to establish. You you really have to enjoy being together, <laughs> you know, you know uh, and, and one's best friend. And that doesn't, you know, eliminate, you know, uh, conflict or anything, but it's like you would with your best friend. You know, how, how would you, right. you know, uh, deal with, with that kind of thing? Um, well, we're um, about halfway through the show, uh, Naomi and Marilyn, so I want to take a, a quick break. Um, and then when we return, um, uh, Marilyn, you had married your, your high school sweetheart um, and left your marriage to be with Naomi. So I want to talk about the marriage aspect of, of this, okay? Okay. Okay. Everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief clip. Hello. This is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5x7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, ByteRadio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest, 
And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us again today. My special guests are Naomi W. Scales and Marilyn J. Jones, and they are the co-authors of the memoir, From Pain to Love, Our Journey Outside the Rainbow. For more information, you can visit their website, which is Naomi, Naomi W. Scales and A-N-D, MarilynJJordan.com. Okay, we're back, Marilyn and Naomi. Hello. Hey, Robert. Thanks for having me. Sure. I'm I'm really enjoying chatting with you folks. Um, Now, Marilyn, um, you married your high school sweetheart um, and ended up leaving your marriage to be with Naomi. So can you tell us, um, you know, a bit about, you know, that aspect, that, that whole going from married with children to being with Naomi? So can you tell us about, Maybe that con, you know, any conflict you had. How how did that? For if someone's in that right now, how did you go about the transition? Well, um, yeah, like you said, I married my high school sweetheart, and during that entire relationship with him, before the marriage and after the marriage, uh, Naomi was still my best friend, and so that was conflict in my marriage with my uh, um, husband. Because as he knew that our friendship was more than what he was willing to tolerate, even though I tried hard to keep it as just a friendship that Naomi and I had, but my feelings were there for her because I was trying hard to do what I thought was the right thing to do. But with all that going on, my marriage with my husband had its issues, as most most relationships and marriages do. Um, mine had more than usual. And I don't want to say I use that use that as an excuse to uh, nurture my relationship with with Naomi, but at the same time, she was my best friend that I bounced things uh, off uh, off of while I was dealing with the struggles that I was having in my relationship. So um, to, to shorten everything, I thought what I was supposed to do was just continue to make my marriage work. Regardless of my feelings that I had with Naomi, regardless of what was going on in my current marriage, the the different issues, but it was so many of them that I decided that it's okay for me to entertain where I really want to be. It's okay for me to move forward where the love really lies. And so I took advantage of, of that by not deciding to continue to stay somewhere where I was unhappy. I had the two girls. So a lot of people, especially in the South and in the church-based group of family members and so on and so forth, the thing is you don't divorce. You don't leave. You stay there for the children. You leave. You, you know, and to me, I believe the very opposite. You leave for the children, especially if the environment is not conducive for them, if the environment is not something you want to promote or have them think it's okay. So, that was why I knew that it was going to be okay for me to follow my love, and that's what I chose to do. And um, throughout that journey, um, it was very difficult because I did not want to deprive him of having a relationship with the girls, but at the same time, I was struggling with what I was doing to make sure that what was not that that was not going to affect the girls or or do some damage, if you will. So um, mm-hmm. I hope I answered the question um, on, yeah, on how that yeah. 
place. Yeah, you did. You know, and you know, the the really important thing is is recognizing, you know, that you you deserve to be in uh, a happy relation or a, a happy space. You know, rather than having to struggle. You know, and I I know, gosh, uh, my my father left when I was young, and I, you know, for a while I wasn't happy, but then I realized that was the best thing for everybody because they have been parentless. <laughs> They had stayed together any longer than <laughs> so I was like, okay, I get it now. So, but um, but yeah, you know. But that said, Robert, sorry to interrupt. I do. I want to put this nugget in there. With you saying that, it makes me realize now that uh, my girls are adults and uh, my ex-husband still exists, and he has a relationship with them. I have a relationship with him, but it's not one that. When I say a relationship, we can be in the same room with each other, even though we're in different states, and we're okay. We are um, we're cordial, and but with all that said, there are definitely signs that let me know, and the girls uh, confirm that what I did was okay, and what I did was needed, because now that we're older and wiser and more mature, he is still who he was then, and that's okay for someone else. But it's not okay for me or for the world. So I know what I did was needed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and I'm glad that you said that because, again, for, for listeners out there who may be in similar positions, which, you know, I'm sure that is like one of the purposes of your book is to put it out there, you know, that you know, people who are going through this kind of situation. Um, and I, I don't know if especially in the black community, but I, I, you know, just from what I know that that's, you know, there's a, a whole lot of um, uh, challenges, you know, maybe extra challenges, you know, that some, you know, in the black community um, are confronted with. You know, you know, I mean, so anyway, I, you know, I, I think it's, it's good that you, that you put it out there, you know, that. In the long run, both you and the kids recognize those for the best, like I did with mine. So anybody out there worrying about it, just realize in the end, uh, or in the long run, I should say, that um, it's happiness and love is, is where you should be directing your attention. Yes, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So now you fell in love in the late 1980s and tried to live a normal life in the eyes of society. So uh, tell us about that period of time. Well, when when Marilyn made the, the, the bold decision to leave, we also made a decision among ourselves that we would form a pact with each other. We had always been friends, and, um, and this love thing was something that was new, but that was not going to be the thing that would uh, break us. We were going to uh, always continue to be friends and stand behind each other. So if that meant that one of us or both of us had to take a back seat to be able to promote and, and uh, keep harmony in our family and try to hide what we, the true life we was living, that's what we decided, that we were going to stand on our friendship, that this relationship is going to be about our friendship and the rearing of these girls. And then plus I was in the military at the time, so there was a certain amount of secrecy and, and things that couldn't be said and done. And we were, when we got together, we were in, in a city that we considered to be a very liberal city at the time, which was New Orleans. But we still faced a lot of uh, 
homophobic um, neighbors, comments, things that were happening, saying to us, and things that, that would be said to the girls. So we knew that we just couldn't be openly walking around as a couple uh, saying that we're a, we're, we're a family. So we decided that, that we were going to hide that part of it, that when we stepped out into the world, we were going to be just mom, two girls, and auntie. And um, so that's the, the route that we decided to take. And it had its issues with, um, I guess, outside of the family, more inside the family, because when we were in those walls, we were just a family. We were just a unit. We were just like anybody else. You know, we eat dinner, do homework, play, you know, have conversations, share love, hug each other. But when we stepped out the door, people saw these two women coming out here with these two girls, and why was there no man ever around? So it was always a a challenge for us to try to keep that hitting, but then still try to live an adult life because uh, Marilyn and I were young. We were still in our, we were, uh, in our early 30s, and we still had friends that, that went out and done things and had parties. We wanted to do those things as well. So we traditionally lived a straight life even with our friends. We would go out with them to straight bars and, and have, uh, you know, and do the things that straight people do. But then we also had a, a certain group of friends that would come to us who were uh, in the community with us, that, but they were from Arkansas, and they would come to the big city, hang with us, and then we, that's when we would be able to live our lives uh, as a, um, a a lesbian couple. So it was it was just a it was just a it's a battle of two worlds, and that even manifests to the that we just made up stuff. So that people just would not get into our business, into our family, and make our girls feel uncomfortable. That was our main driving force: was not to make our girls feel un- uncomfortable, make them feel different. And we still had neighbors say stuff to us and call us names. And so that was that was that's just the battle that we faced. And we and we um, sometimes it took it by surprise, uh, but other times we kind of got used to it. Especially when we moved from New Orleans to Texas, we were ready for Texas. Yeah. Uh, to, we were ready for the outpouring of homophobic behavior, and um, and luckily, we I don't think we really faced. We got scared when we first got here to Texas because not too soon after getting here, there was a case where a a um, a, a man and um, two gentlemen actually got arrested in their own home for for you know for um, what the state considered to be what do they call it, really, uh, seditious behavior or something like that, something crazy. And that scared the mess out of us. And so this was just a, uh, a constant uh, fear of ours all the time is that we just could not let people know that we were a couple. We just couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. When, when I saw that you are in Houston, Texas, I thought, hmm. <laughs> I was like, okay. But Houston is a, and Austin are pretty good spots. So um, now in 1992, um, you appeared, you both appeared as guests on the Oprah, Oprah Winfrey show. Um, so, and, and, and it was, again, part of the um, – hiding aspect of, of this period. So can you tell us what what was that all about? What were you on there for? Well, we were in New Orleans, and um, an advertisement for her show came on TV, and the name of the movie that she was promoting was called Single White Female. And in that movie, it was a – I'm not, I can't remember if it was the roommate or if it was her neighbor, but it was a single white female that had either a roommate or a neighbor that 
the behavior and the relationship that she was interested in was sketchy. And I don't necessarily know if it was um, a love that she had or was she possessive. It was all of those things, kind of, in a way. And she was obsessed with with the girl. And at that time, I saw that I – wanted to portray my relationship to be that way so that I could confuse or change the minds of people who saw me in a relationship with a woman. Um, At that time, I was very strong in telling everyone that Naomi was my sister. I was very involved in a lot of elite, if you will, type organizations. I was a Girl Scout leader. I was involved in church, and I was running with a lot of people that were married with to men and or engaged to men and had families that people deemed at that time as normal, quote, unquote. So I said, I'm going to call the Oprah show for a couple of reasons. I wanted to take advantage of this fun trip that I knew she would, Oprah would take care of and fund the trip, and I, I loved Oprah and still do. And so really that was the main reason I jumped out because this was a show I could make myself fit into and have an opportunity to meet Oprah. And at that time, Oprah's, um, the dynamics of her show was different than what it became later on in her career. At that time, all of her guests were pretty much scattered out in the audience, and she would position a microphone in front of you for you to speak your your, your part. So we were main guests there, and she asked the questions, and I just, you know, said, yes, I'm not a, if I try to go out on a date, Naomi does not think that men should be around my girls and to protect the girls. And, of course, the audience and Oprah were like, of course, well, we agree with Naomi. But in my mind, it was just all a lie. I just made it all up because that's not what Naomi and I were. And I look back on that, and I feel a certain way doing that to Naomi, you know, and to myself as well because that to be public, uh, to live a public lie is one thing, but to go on a, a platform in the media <laughs> world of that, right. you know, it was uh, that was a bit extreme. But I was extreme in everything I did back then because I was so adamant about proving to everyone that you're not going to know the truth. You're just not going to know the truth. And so that was how um, that came about. But we had a chance to meet Oprah, and I got a couple of coffee mugs with her signature on it, and we had a letter with saying thank you for being my guest and all that good stuff. Yeah, and you know, Robert, that, like Marilyn said, that, that, that's a kind of a, a painful moment in a way when we look back on it. I, I remember when we went on that show and, and my mother was still in Chicago at that time. So when we went to the show, we had lunch with her, and my mother was really kind of upset about the show. And she said to me that yeah, she went on that show to embarrass you. And and it was like one of those moments in our in our in our family that it was like oh wow you know we really taking this thing to the you know to the too far we we really not too far we really taking this thing out there you know we we're sitting here on TV saying something that we know that's not true and uh, so that was so when we look back on it that's one of those things where you, you kind of like just you know just take a little cringe a little bit because it's a painful moment and all in the attempt to. Yeah to uh, continue a lie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think many of us have those kind of cringe moments looking back. But, you know, in a way, I mean, it, you know, it, 
it all plays a part, you know, in the picture. So, I mean, you know, and, and you know, the, the tone, recognizing the difference between what, what you presented versus what you felt, you know, I think just um, the event being able to show you that, I think is a valuable lesson. I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a valuable, you know, piece of wisdom to to recognize that, you know, um, this is this is not authentic and this is authentic. So I think sometimes, you know, it can help people recognize what's authentic or not within themselves. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, now you both came together and in twenty. Oh six, uh, you created the the business, um, Marfran Cleaning. Um, so tell us tell us about Marfran. What what's Marfran all about? Well, Marfran Cleaning is a full service janitorial facility maintenance company. We started in two thousand six out of a, uh, a a need to have additional money to take care of my mother. Um, I, I had always worked three or four jobs. You know, I, I was, when I was in the Military, I worked at nighttime at UPS. You know, I, I'd get up and I'd throw papers in the morning. When Even when I went to uh, the Postal Service, I stayed on the overtime list all the time, just working all the time. And when my mother took ill, I, I needed to try to generate some more income. And um, and there's only so much overtime you can do with the Postal Service. So I said, well, we, I need to get a, a, a start a business. And starting a cleaning company was, was, was uh, not that expensive. And I was fortunate enough that I had made a lot of uh, nice, uh, a lot of people that were willing to help me on my on my postal route that that had experience in it. So we started the cleaning company, and um, I had a uh, elderly woman on my route, and she was like my first employee, and she she took it by the horn, and she really kind of just she kind of put us on her shoulders because of her work performance, and we started getting a lot of attention because of the, the details that she was uh, distributing with her work. And so we got a lot of opportunities. And by me being a veteran, we got into the federal contracting uh, part of it. And so since 2006, we have grown. We have expanded our services. We have uh, we have 30 uh, employees. We have uh, 10 uh, vendors. Uh, we're, we're servicing not only in Texas, we service uh, nationwide. We've been in uh, California, Arizona, uh, Oklahoma, Mississippi, so we've been uh, all over the place. And uh, so what started as a necessity just to get uh, some extra income has really turned out to be a uh, building of a legacy, something that we are very proud of. Great. And now what, what about uh, Marfran Apex in, in communication? What, what, what are yeah. those? Those are all uh, – um, companies that we are started with, um, I guess, a subsidiary of Marfran to go into other ventures like communication. Uh, once the Marfran Apex was a, a joint venture with another company where we worked on a major project together, so we uh, we joined together as one company to be able to fulfill uh, to take care of this uh, desire, this, this request from the government to fulfill a service. Uh, Marfran Communication, we started that as a part of trying to get into, uh, I guess, a, a television provider, communication services, satellite. Um, and so those things are just 
part of just trying to expand as much as we can, building off the Mar Fran name, trying to get into other areas. That, that's great. That's great. Now, Marilyn, I understand also that you are a duly ordained minister, America's marriage ministry, uh, with an emphasis on same-sex marriages. So tell, tell us about that, you know, how, how you got involved in that, and how many or, or has there been any, I'm sure all marriages are memorable, but any, any kind of memorable moments as, as a, a minister? Yeah, it, that has um, it has been some memorable moments uh, as it relates to that particular uh, endeavor. Uh, primarily because I knew when we were married, um, it was not legal at that time. We got married a year before it became legal, and I knew the search that we went through to find someone to perform our marriage. It wasn't a difficult search because I had a classmate who was in a same-sex marriage, and he did his uh, ceremony in California, so we chose to go out and do ours in California, and the lady that did it, she provided a photographer. She provided the uh, photographer was also the witness to our marriage. Since all of our things were done in secret, very accommodating to have that package brought to us without any fuss, and we chose the beach for our setting. It was just so beautiful, and I thought, you know, I want to help other same-sex uh, couples, other same-sex relationships who want to uh, solidify and and put it on paper. I want to assist in that in a way that they're comfortable and they don't have to go out and do a search or find someone that is going to perform it just out of um, receiving funds or just out of doing it without having their heart in it and not completely understanding. So because of that, I um, did a search online and went through a short course and, and answered uh, a plethora of questions and got my certificates and a lot of other neat things and binders and booklets. And I used that to um, help um, a few couples. And I've been two other couples I've helped um, that I've not met. I asked questions and, and talked just to determine that this is something that you really want me to do for you and this is something you all want to do with each other. And they did not materialize for various reasons. Now, there is one couple that did, um, I did officiate their ceremony. It was beautiful, and um, it was my goddaughter and her wife. And uh, my goddaughter uh, has passed on, and um, they are no longer together. But um, that is the only relationship that I have officiated, and I haven't really promoted it the way I could or should. Mm -hmm. But I have put it out there. Uh, my daughter um, was at a venue, and they pushed same-sex relationships, same-sex marriages to perform ceremonies and parties and things of that such. So I left my information with them. And that's really the only promoting I've done. So I think if I was to really uh, step out there and, and um, put the work in, that you know, a lot of things could happen as a result of it. I just, I just haven't done like I should, but it is still something I'm very well, proud of. Yeah, and it, you know, it is something to be proud of. And you know, everything happens in time. <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things that you know you may not you know be put in that, but the couples um, will come to you. You know, if uh, if they're meant to be. So. That's um, yeah. So now let's go with Naomi. What what do you hope 
that uh, readers are going to take away from reading this book? And then we'll go to Marilyn. Well, I, I, I would hope at first that people would not just look at the cover and say, oh, this is another this is a, another LGBT story. This is another, uh, you know, gay story. Uh, I'm not, you know, I, would, I would hope that um, people would, uh, when they read the book, they would realize that, yeah, this is a, this is a full story. This is a full life being of two people that have had challenges, have done things that they're not proud of, but in the end they have won. They have they have um they they have found love, they've been successful in business, they've been successful in, in, in having a family. So just and then they also have done a lot of the same things that I have done, when I say I, I mean the person reading it, as a straight person. They, they've taken care of an elderly parent. They've sent kids to school. They've had trauma. They, they've had things that I can relate to. So I would hope that people would, when they read it, they would realize that this is just an American story. It's just an American story that's told from two women that love each other and, um, and find something that they can uh, latch onto and say, hey, if they could do that, maybe I could do it too. That is so true. I uh, I would hope that when one uh, takes on the reading of this book, they can see the perseverance and the tenacity and the courage that it has taken, not so much in us enduring through a same-sex relationship, but enduring through all of life's stuff while living in a same-sex relationship, which the same stuff that we endured are things that, um, heterosexual relationships, individuals that are not in relationships, people that are just living and breathing. These are all things you have to attack and overcome. So within this love story, there are a lot of other stories, but within all those stories, love exists as it relates to, like Naomi said, the trauma, the poverty that we went through uh, that Naomi shared, and my faith-based uh, challenges that I had to overcome, which these are things that people overcome, um, people deal with even when you're not dealing with uh, a lesbian relationship as far as uh, questioning your faith and uh, Christianity and things of that, of that, of that such. So uh, at the end of the day, what we want people to take away from all the stories that are within this one story is love always wins. And maybe, and maybe encourage, like, you know, maybe encourage. I remember our editor telling us, when we started writing this and telling the story, she said, there are still people that's living the story. And here we are, we're both uh, 50, almost turning 60. And, and, it, and to hear her say that, that there's still people that's living in, in hiding and, and, and pretty much doing the same thing that you guys are doing. You're going to help people. That was shocking to me because we are, we're such, we're so, our society has, has grown so much in acceptance and, and uh, diversity and inclusion that we still have a certain group of people, community of people that still feel as though living their true authentic self is something that should be fearful of and uh, something that shouldn't be shared because it's not what people think you should do. So I'm hoping that somebody will read that and say, hey, you know, it's going to be okay. I mean, it's okay if I, if I come out or if I say that I, I'm, um, I'm, I'm different, that I, I'm, I'm, I'm not who you thought I might have been, but I'm happy. So I'm hoping that that would be able to encourage some people that, that may feel as though they're still doing that high and hiding of who they really are. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, yeah, I, I agree. And that was one of the, the 
things that drew me to your story is the recognition that there are people out there too that that are not currently going through it. Now, I will say one last thing. Now, that, that bright smiling face picture on your website, uh, you are two people that, as my partner would say, we would love to have your feet under our table sharing a meal. Uh, maybe I bet we would just have a good old time. But really nice. It's been really nice chatting with you, uh, Naomi and Marilyn, and I really want to thank you for your time today. Well, thank you, Robert. And I must say, we have done many interviews since this book has been published and has been out uh, uh, on the street. <laughs> and this has been my absolute favorite. It really has. Your your questions were poignant, and you made us feel so warm. And I really, really appreciate it. Yes, Robert. Thank you so much. Well, you are very welcome. I mean, it was truly a delight, and and I enjoyed it so. Now, um, I noticed you're on social media, correct? Yes. Okay. Well, I will be joining you on social media, so hopefully we can follow each other's journey. Yes, we're on uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn. We're about all of them. We're everywhere. <laughs> and our book can be found on Amazon and anywhere where you purchase your book. Absolutely. So. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. You're welcome. Again, everyone. Again, everyone. Today, my special guests have been Naomi W. Scales and Marilyn J. Jordan, and we've been talking about their new memoir, From Pain to Love: Our Journey Outside the Rainbow. And again, you can find out more by visiting their website, Naomi W. Scales and A and D. MarilynJJordan.com, and also join them on the social media platforms that you use. So, everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show, and until we meet again. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, Tune in, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.